Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. I know many of you out there are hungry for more paranormal content these days. What if I told you there is about to be a community just for fans of ghosts and hauntings like us? For months, I've been working on something incredible, and I am so thrilled to be releasing it into the wild. I'd like to be the first to welcome you to the Paranormal Circle. Imagine a place where you can access weekly live chats and roundtable discussions about all things supernatural, watch 24-7 webcams positioned inside some of your favorite haunted locations. In addition to that, you'll be able to watch and assist during live streaming investigations with me and some of my friends who you may recognize. You'll also be granted access to an archive of evidence from these investigations, and you can upload your own evidence for all of us to weigh in on. Even more, you'll be on the list for private in-person meetups, plus dedicated paranormal circle meetups at your favorite paranormal conventions, strange escapes retreats, and Comic-Cons. We've also worked with many of these events and your favorite paranormal retailers to offer Paranormal Circle-only discounts. All of this, plus dedicated merchandise and swag giveaways, amounts to one really cool space for all of us to enjoy together. If this sounds right up your dark alley, then I'd like to personally invite you to be one of the first to join the Paranormal Circle. If you'd like to join the waiting list to be one of the founding members of the Circle, Head to amybruni.com and get on the list ASAP. We'll be opening up membership this spring, and those on the waiting list get first access. Again, all of this is only accessible to Paranormal Circle members, so head to amybruni.com and join the waiting list today. What is it about trains? If you've followed my career for a while, you know I've had a few paranormal run-ins very much having to do with trains. Perhaps most memorable is the time I investigated the exact spot on train tracks where decades earlier a car carrying four women had been T-boned by a train, killing three of them instantly. My investigation there was captured on the Kindred Spirits episode fittingly titled Ghost Train. As I sat in the darkness, listening back to my recorder hoping for an answer, I got a lot more than I bargained for. Out of the blue, the railroad crossing lights and bells came on out of nowhere, a shocking occurrence in the still of the night. There was no train. The tracks ran one train in the summer and that was it. 
This was the middle of the night, in the winter. And when we investigated further by calling the folks who supposedly serviced that train crossing, they claimed it wasn't even functional at that time. But even beyond that, there is something you don't know about that investigation, something that didn't make air. You see, that night, as I ran, yes, I literally ran, well, maybe we can say hustled in order to save my dignity. Anyway, as I made my way back to the car, I saw standing in the forest by the side of the road a very tall, dark figure watching us just from the tree line. My producer saw it too, loudly saying, did you see that as we got in the car? So as you can imagine, the idea of ghosts and trains together both fascinate and terrify me. On that note, why don't you climb aboard and join me as we venture to the Buffalo Central Terminal. Maybe I'll even let you ride in the caboose. Sorry, I had to. I'm Amy Bruni, and welcome to Haunted Road. In Buffalo, New York, nestled between Lake Erie and Niagara Falls, not too far from the Canadian border, stands a 17-story tower with a massive round clock mounted on its front. Once, the tower was regularly lit by floodlights, and it was said to be visible from 15 miles away. It's one of the many features of Buffalo Central Terminal, a nearly century-old railway station. Although the brick walls are worn with age, you can see its old grandeur in the tall, arched ceilings. In the main concourse, they're six stories high, with five-story windows on the walls. Tiles and metal grills feature geometric patterns and fleur-de-lis. It's airy and sunlit, at least outside of the tower, which has boards over its windows. The station features numerous Art Deco flourishes, which were popular when construction on the station began on March 29, 1926. At the time, railroads were particularly important to Buffalo's economy. Once the western terminus of the Erie Canal, the city was a thoroughfare for travelers. In a United States Department of Interior report, Claire L. Ross wrote, one historian has noted that no American city during the late 19th and early 20th centuries owes more to railroads than did Buffalo. Buffalo had a railway as early as 1848, and it was considered the second biggest train hub in the United States after Chicago, as reported by John Haig, Thomas Fidelli, and Michael Fidelli in Photographic History of Buffalo Central Terminal. But there was no central meeting place for all the various lines. In 1879, Buffalo residents began calling for just that, and a little under 50 years later, the Buffalo Central Terminal broke ground. It had seven platforms under the concourse, with 14 sets of tracks, and it hosted offices for 1,500 employees, a separate mall building, and per Claire Ross's report, an underground tunnel for baggage. The depot was constructed roughly two and a half miles from Buffalo's downtown district, which might sound odd for a transportation hub. But the city had been going through an explosive period of growth. Planners fully expected that the downtown neighborhood would also spread, eventually stretching right up to the Buffalo Central Terminal's front doors. After all, this was a period of expansion and transformation, and it seemed wise to account for that when building. When the terminal opened its doors to the public, 
The mayor of Buffalo declared the day a civic holiday, and in addition to giving a speech at the opening ceremony, he donated a large stuffed buffalo head to the train station. The event was also marked with a stylish party, and more than 2,000 guests gathered to watch the station's first-ever departure at 2.10 p.m., as reported by Dwayne Claude and Cassidy O'Connor in Haunted Buffalo, Ghosts in the Queen City. Early visitors also had the opportunity to peruse the station's other offerings like restaurants, newsstands, barbershops, and stores selling toys and jewelry. But, unfortunately, the lavish opening celebrations happened on June 22, 1929, just four months before Black Thursday, the day some historians point to as the start of the Great Depression. As people lost their jobs and homes, they weren't traveling as much as before. Between 1929, the year Buffalo Central Terminal opened, and 1933, the New York Central Railroad lost money consistently. This included more than 80% of its net revenue from passengers. It didn't help matters that the federal government rolled back certain subsidies for railway systems, meaning maintenance and repair costs started falling on private owners. Naturally, as expenses went up and profits went down, the Buffalo Central Terminal became a financial burden and its former potential transformed into a liability. By the mid-1930s, when the depot was only about a decade old, portions of the building were shut down due to lack of use. Likewise, the town of Buffalo's period of expansion stalled to a stop, and the downtown neighborhood never grew to reach the depot the way the original builders had hoped it would. Since it first opened nearly a century ago, the Buffalo Central Terminal only operated at full capacity during one time period, World War II. Understandably, as members of the military moved across the country, they needed to use railways more frequently. But civilian rail usage increased as well. Gas rations made it impractical for people to drive as much as they might otherwise. Enlistees and anyone else traveling through the Buffalo Central Terminal would stop by a large stuffed bison in the concourse and pat its head, as reported by Panit Pharma on Alcatron's Buffalo Central Terminal webpage. Soldiers' girlfriends would also kiss them goodbye well before they boarded, as they weren't allowed onto the platform, according to the Buffalo Courier Express. And journal Benedict Brook wrote that the top-selling item for jewelers at the station were $10 engagement rings, presumably so servicemen could make last-minute proposals before shipping off to their deployments. At one point, a reporter from the Buffalo Courier Express described how one train loaded with about 500 servicemen and volunteers pulled away from the station on Christmas Day. Sadly, Buffalo locals who were killed in action would often return to the terminal as well, when the government shipped their remains back home. Even POWs passed through the Buffalo train depot. In some cases, captured German soldiers were put to work at the station. But this period of high usage and regular traffic couldn't last forever. After the war ended, the Buffalo Central Terminal fell back into disuse. In the 1950s, only a handful of trains departed from its platforms. Local lines, plus one that made five daily trips to Niagara Falls. By 1959, even the waterfall trips were suspended due to lack of interest. 
Two years after that, the terminal only boasted one single departure per day, a train that ran to New York City. By December 3, 1967, that too was discontinued. For about a decade afterward, various railways tried to find ways to utilize the Grand Train Station, but none of these ventures were successful. Portions of the facility had to be demolished. The property tax alone was too expensive to justify keeping them standing. In 1979, the winter heating bill at the terminal was $150,000, the equivalent of roughly $630,000 today. Ironically, the hefty expense was part of what kept the Buffalo Central Terminal standing even after it stopped operating as a train depot. Demolishing a whole building is expensive, and it was cheaper for the owners to just abandon it and let it fall into disuse. In 1979, a man named Anthony Fidele stepped forward to save the Buffalo Central Terminal. That year, when the train station went up for auction, Anthony was the only prospective buyer to place a bid, so he purchased the old depot for $75,000. Adjusted for inflation, that's $350,000 today. He planned to renovate it into a massive complex that would draw tourists, complete with lodging, shops, and an event space that could host concerts or sporting events. If Buffalo's downtown area had expanded and grown around the train station like the builders originally intended, that plan might have worked. But it still hadn't, so those ambitions never came to fruition. Even when Anthony managed to set up a few events at the Central Terminal, like a festival for the local Polish community and a couple of boxing tournaments, they weren't exactly successful. The authorities shut the events down due to a lack of proper licensing, and perhaps more importantly, because the fire department deemed the Buffalo Central Terminal was unsafe. While the train station crumbled around him, Anthony didn't give up on his vision. He lived on site in an apartment in either the third or fourth floor of the Central Tower. Because he had concerns about intruders breaking into the terminal, Anthony lived with a protective German shepherd named Moose. All the while, he was falling further behind on the property taxes he owed on the depot, and even setting up a repayment plan wasn't enough to get him out of debt. In 1986, he had no choice but to auction off the building. The new owner didn't do much of anything to restore or even maintain the facility, which fell further into disrepair until 1997. Then, finally, the Buffalo Central Terminal was bought by the Central Terminal Restoration Corporation, a nonprofit group that began a multi decade renovation effort. In the Buffalo News, reporter Rick Stouffer said they bought the depot for just $1, but their expenses were greater than that, as they also agreed to pay half the five figure back tax bill for the station. And of course, they also took on the hefty expenses of maintaining and restoring the facility. Their repairs are still underway, and the station is in need of significant work before it can regain its former glory. Some parts of the depot are open for tours, though. In the years before its long, slow recovery, unsubstantiated stories spread about deaths and tragedies at the Buffalo Central Terminal. According to rumors, before the nonprofit bought the facility, Homeless would take shelter in the basement, which could get bitterly cold at night. It's said numerous people froze to death there. And in a story that hits a bit closer to home for me, a ghost hunter was injured in July of 2021. 
She was standing on a roof above a substation that collapsed, and she fell something like 15 to 20 feet. She had to be rushed to a hospital where she was diagnosed with a broken shoulder blade, four broken ribs, and a punctured lung. But it's unsurprising that she and other paranormal investigators are drawn to Buffalo Central Terminal. There have been reports of spirits there, including the ghost of former owner Anthony Fideli. He died in 1995, before many of the major renovations could begin, but it's said he still lingers in the tower where he once lived. Some visitors say he's answered questions for them, while others sense him beside or behind them while they go to the tower's third floor, where his apartment might have been. Sometimes he's joined by the specter of his German shepherd, Moose. The Haunted House's webpage on the Buffalo Central Terminal notes that Anthony can be a bit skittish around visitors. He seems to be worried that he'll be forced to abandon the depot again, just like how he had no choice but to sell it in life. Others have spotted what appear to be World War II-era enlistees and their families. Some are believed to be soldiers who died in battle, whose remains were transported back through the train station. Visitors have also seen what appear to be families waiting in futility for their deceased loved ones to return from war. Some guests have even reported they've heard the voice of a German POW. Writers for the Haunted House's website speculated he's still diligently at work today, unaware that he's passed away or that the war is long over. Additionally, a woman named Rose is said to linger near the baggage claim area. She exclusively interacts with female investigators and visitors and is said to dislike men. And a young girl and a boy who's been dubbed Zachary sometimes play in the tower where Anthony Fideli's apartment used to be. Beyond that, the Buffalo Central Terminal has many of the features that are common in haunted locations, like cold spots, footsteps, and laughter that doesn't have an apparent source. Figures appear and vanish, and a seemingly spectral black cat has been spotted multiple times. On one occasion, a representative of the nonprofit that owns the station claimed to see two men approach a drinking fountain and sip from it. Then, before the witness's eyes, the men in the fountain all disappeared. Ironically, while Buffalo Central Terminal barely achieved its potential as a massive railway depot, it has become a hub of a different sort, a hotspot for hauntings. Up next, we're going to talk to good friend Tim Shaw. He is a local investigator and paranormal researcher who has investigated Buffalo Central Terminal a number of times. That is coming up after the break. It's almost here. The NYX anniversary sale starts this Thursday, May 9th at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. 
So mark your calendar this Thursday, May 9th for the NYX anniversary sale. Get 30% off all leak-proof underwear, shapewear, activewear, and more. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Don't miss this. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. So I am now joined by someone who may be familiar to many of you, who's definitely familiar to me, Mr. Tim Shaw, who is an author, a speaker, a regular on the event circuit. I see him all the time at Paracons, and this guy has the best radio voice. It's as though you used to be in radio, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) You think? (laughs) Uh, Well, it's really nice to have you on the program. I... um, I know you're very familiar with Buffalo Central Terminal. This is a location that I actually have investigated, but it was under very unusual circumstances. I investigated it on Ghost Hunters Live. And so that always kind of has a a different set of challenges. But in that process, you know, we spent multiple days there, even off camera, just kind of getting ready for everything. Um, And we had experiences that no one got to see. Like, it is really a very active place. So just kind of along those lines, how did you get started with Buffalo Central Terminal? What was your role there? Well, I was a volunteer there. And um, friends of mine actually started the public ghost hunts when they were raising money for uh, the terminal. And I started getting involved when we started cleaning the place up in order to go and make it, I won't say inhabitable, but I'll say that it would make it more safe for the public to walk through. Uh, you got you know, I mean, I'm sure you covered before that uh, it was abandoned for a number of years and vandals got in there and just really destroyed it after the salvage operations stripped it, you know. So that's when I first got involved with it. And it's an amazing place. I'm a, I'm a history nerd from way back. And I absolutely love the architecture, the the whole idea of how intricately important it was to my area, what mm-hmm. this building represented. So that's when I really fell in love with the building. Yeah. And it's, it is stunning. It is something to behold. You know, you really do, you feel like you're stepping back in time, which you truly are because really not much has happened to it since the sixties. Um, I know there have been a number of attempts over the years to kind of salvage it in some way. But kind of like what you were saying, when the first time Ghost Hunters went there, the show I used to be on years ago, the first time they went there during the tour, the man giving the tour actually 
had to go down in one of the tunnels or something because they thought there might be someone down there. And he got attacked by someone with a crowbar who broke his hand. Like, uh, you know, it's one of those things I always try to warn investigators that some of these locations, you don't know who you're going to run into. The living art can be much more scary than the dead. And this is kind of a good example of that. Much more. And, you know, and here's the thing. they Because it was abandoned for so many years, there are so many ways to get into that location. Uh, or there were so many. I'll, I'll clarify that. <laughs> the new, the new uh, uh, restoration corporation uh, that has uh, administered to it has really sealed it up tight. Plus there's cameras and, and all sorts of alarms and all sorts of things now with that building. But I believe when you guys came in, it was still, there were still some openings. Uh, a lot of it was just, you know, sealed with plywood so they could push it down or kick it in. And yeah, I mean, there were a lot of homeless that actually lived there. And as a matter of fact, one of the uh, spirits there that uh, we've kind of contacted was a, a spirit of a homeless man who actually froze to death in one of the tunnels. Yeah, that was something I covered in the history, how that happened, unfortunately, often in the winters. I mean, Buffalo has a very harsh winter as many of us know. So kind of getting into the paranormal activity there, like obviously you were able to identify a spirit, but what what do you say, think that people encounter there most often? Like what is the most prevalent type of activity? You know, uh, I believe a lot of, it's a lot of residual. I'll say about 80, probably 85% of what people are experiencing is re residual because there's so many triggers in that place. People walk in there and first of all, they're wowed by the architecture and how they're actually rebuilding it. But I believe that when we start talking about the history of the location, vibrationally, the spiritualist uh, community that I belong to believes that uh, thoughts are things and everything is vibrational in nature. So the actual even thought of what happened there, what was going on there can trigger a reaction. So I believe a lot of what they're, what people are, 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 are feeling has already happened. Now, that being said, you know, there are locations in that place that definitely had an interaction, a, a an intelligent interaction. Tony Fidelli's apartment, the one of the uh, interim owners of the location, he lived at the location. Uh, that is really a place that we've gotten a lot of interaction with. And uniquely, down in the trolley lobby, We've gotten shadow people and, and dark masses that have, you know, actually traveled towards us in one of the halls and stuff. So there's a lot, there, there's there's enough uh, two-way communication for it to really uh, be not just a dead zone and picking up just the history of it. But a lot of it, I believe, is all trigger. I mean, I, I really do because the place is just historically it's been act, you know, so active. The other thing is, is just the makeup of the building, the stone masonry of that building, I believe holds in so much of that history and the vibration of that history. And that was an emotional place. You got to remember that not just people coming and going and freight being delivered. You know, we're talking about let's just say World War II. You have all these GIs leaving you know, from the Buffalo area and passing through. And then how many times didn't they, well, they either didn't come home or they came home in, in, in boxes, you know, their caskets came home that way through the freight, the, the freight area. So 
there were, it's it's an area of high 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 emotion and the mezzanine was a uso spot that had a band and so the emotions were always so high especially like during that era it, emotions are, are vibrations and vibrations imprint it, it, it's just something that as spiritualists we take for granted and i believe that's what really triggers a lot of the activity there yeah, and I I agree because I thought about that a lot. You know, like you were saying, obviously it's a very kind of transient place um, for many years, but also particularly that World War II era, the emotions running high in that spot. Like I can't imagine the anxiousness, the wondering what's going to happen. You know, many times, you know, they were saying that they would sell engagement rings in the terminal because these GIs would propose at the last minute to their girlfriends before they left. So I just, I can't imagine like what that imprint does to a space. And so I do think that definitely has something to do with it. Um, I know I remember seeing a lot of shadow figures when I was there. And I remember it's always strange when you're doing a live broadcast because a lot of people maybe don't understand is that when we're doing one of those live shows, it's funny, they always have to hire crews from like the NFL and stuff, people who are used to doing live broadcasts. And so, you know, you're you're teaching these, you know, 50 or 60 crew members all of a sudden, you know, they're used to trying to catch the action. And we're like, no, actually, you just have to be very quiet. <laughs> just don't move. But in the middle of all that hubbub, I still found myself so many times just by myself in that building because everything they were doing was outside. And I tell you, it felt very alive. It felt there was kind of a hum to it. And I think that's kind of what you're describing. Now, as far as Tony's apartment, do you think that's who people interact with there is him in particular? I believe so, because in several EVPs that I've heard, and I believe I captured one, I, I, it's been a couple of years since I've actually pulled up the evidence from uh, the Central Terminal, uh, we did get the first name Tony, mm -hmm. and I've heard it repeated in other EVPs. Also, when we were using scanner boxes back in the, <laughs> let's yeah. face it, back in the old days, you know, the old Radio Shack hacks. The shack and, hacks, and, that's what I used. I, I think I followed oh my God, yeah. tutorial. <laughs> yeah, that's, pretty much, that's pretty much what I, st I still use a lot of the original <laughs> stuff. And uh, we would get real-time interaction up there. And to me, that was really great because we would get a date. Sometimes we would get a year. Uh, sometimes we would get what sounded like a party going on because Tony was a pretty big party guy, I hear. Right. And you know, you would hear several voices and you would hear laughing. And I've actually heard what sounded like glasses clinking. That's exactly, it was, it was amazing because we're all sitting there in a circle, kind of just hanging out and relaxing. And we're going, so what do you think, Tony? Is it, is it, is it, is it cocktail time? And almost immediately we got like several, like clink, 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 clink. Like it sounded like the clinking of glasses <laughs> over the, over the scanner. So I kind of figured then, okay, Tony, you enjoy, you enjoy hanging out with us. So that, you know, so we always got some really good stuff up there. Yeah. Is there any, have you seen any evidence of a ghost dog? Like I heard, I don't remember if it was Tony's dog, but I think it was Tony's dog. Have you seen any evidence? Yes, the shepherds. Of, yeah. 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 Uh, we, I've heard, now I have a Labrador, so I mean, I'm used to hearing her feet running around, you know, and we've actually heard what we thought was uh, the sound of, of a dog, like kind of walking quickly. And I mean, audibly, we actually heard it. And we went out looking to investigate. We found nothing. I mean, it would, would have made sense that a dog could have, a stray dog could have got in there. But we would have, you know, unless that dog uh, uh, really went and hid underneath something, some debris or something, 
we couldn't find it. And I mean, we spent probably an hour or so looking for, you know, trying to debunk that. Yeah. People ask me about ghost animals all the time. And I'm like, you'd be surprised how often we run into them. <laughs> so obviously that seemed kind of intelligent, you know, the interaction happening up there. Is there anyone that you've encountered there, any spirits you've encountered there that seem like they're unhappy in any way or, or come off as, I don't want to say negative, like a negative entity, but just like something, you know, maybe just, you know, a little more mischievous or, or darker? Well, I won't say darker. I'll, I'll say that as, as someone who has worked in within the spiritualist community as a medium myself, uh, I will say there's some really net, there, there's a, there's a couple grumpy SOBs in the place and, um, you know, they'll, they'll go and, uh, I believe that they like to mess with some investigators, not so much myself because I, you know, I've been scratched, pushed, you know, I belong to that club, but they like to mess with people that are, you know, rather, I'll just say new and they're, they don't have that 100% belief system that, well, you know. This is this is somebody that is just out there, and they try to go and they try to scare you. It's almost like a parasitical spirit where they're trying to suck off that energy, where it's like you know the heightened anxiety or heightened being scared or you know something of that nature. Yeah, there's been a couple of people that I mean have come up to me going, "I think I got an attachment," and it's like, "No, no you didn't get an attachment." You know, dude, this is just a this is just this is just a grumpy old guy. You know, don't worry. You know, it's nothing to worry about. You know, and uh, some people have gotten scratched there. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't there present in their group when they got scratched, so they could have gotten. You know, they could have leaned up against a, a concrete wall or something and got scratched. But um, you know, I, nothing that is I would consider like super negative. Like you know, within the realm of the uh, you know the demonic. I've never run into anything like that. I have uh, down out just outside of that trolley area. Uh, there is a long maintenance area, and we were in there the one time. And I have to tell you, there was a, a like a like a dark mass that really kind of sucked up all the ambient light, and it was slowly coming towards us. I've only experienced it once before at Waverly Tuberculosis Hospital, and so it was unique to have that in this Buffalo area because I've never experienced it anywhere else. And there was such a feeling of dread that we all looked at each other and said, you know, maybe discretion is the better part of valor on this one. So we're going to let this, we're going to just let this thing have its space because it just didn't feel right. You know, the barometric pressure started to drop and, and everybody got that, you know, the exorcists call it the uh, gift of discernment where you get that queasy feeling in your, in, you know, in your solar plexus. And we all got it. I think there was like five or six of us that, you know, that were there at the time. We were all standing there. We all saw it. We all kind of felt the exact same thing. And I said, let's just let it have its space. You know, there's no, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, that I'm not of that, uh, uh, of, of that cult that goes and pokes the, pokes the devil, right. you know, sometimes, sometimes it's better to let it have its space, let it see what's going on. And then next time you go down there, maybe if it's intelligent, it will interact with you on a more civil I would say a more civil level rather than being on the defensive. So that's uh, that's probably the worst that I've ever experienced there. Although, you know, again, I've got a lot of stories from people that are like, oh my God, this happened and that happened. But for the most part, these are people that overreact. Uh, they overreact to 
someone can pass wind somewhere and it's a demon, <laughs> you, you know? It could that's be, very true. You know, that's, you know that, that's the only way I could describe it properly. <laughs> right. You know, I think that's a, that's really good advice, actually, what you're saying. So, you know, I always, I, I use the term grumpy ghosts a lot, you know, and I always try to tell people, you know, just some just because someone dies doesn't mean they stop being a jerk. Kind of along exactly. those lines. <laughs> Even when I was on uh, when I was on Kindred Spirits when we were filming Kindred, they were they used to get mad at me for using the term "grumpy ghost" too much. I'm like, what do you want me to call them? <laughs> um, I I do love that advice though. Like when you encounter someone or something that seems a little standoffish, like you don't have to go right for it at that moment, like maybe just cautiously tell them who you are and what you're doing and leave and let them think about it. You know, um, it's just like a living person who you're trying to befriend or like, a you know, you want, you don't need to come in and, and kill them with kindness right away and be like, be my friend, interact, (laughs) you know, so. (laughs) But so many people think like that, you know, uh, I don't know where it comes from, but I mean, I've been doing this I mean, I was introduced into the uh, Lilydale Spiritualist Assembly here in Western New York in like 1972, and I've had uh, the religion of spiritualism has been in my father's side of the family since the 1880s. So I was introduced to this stuff early. And for me, I look at the point that there's no difference psychologically and emotionally between the living and the dead. I really don't. And I just, to me, they're just like people. Uh, If we're working to let's say clear something we that's a whole different story you know you have you only have so much time to work blah 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 you know you get your you get your job done and you do whatever you have to do to get the job you know complete it but if you're out there in an investigation and you know you can take your time you can always you can go back to the location if it's open or even on a public you can go back several times don't go and just poke that devil it's just not worth it because you're not going to get anything then. And then, not to be funny, but somehow there may be a communication between these energetic personalities, and they may become hesitant to even communicate with you. Because how many times, and you, Amy, you know yourself, how many times have you stood there and had somebody next to you catch an EVP, you didn't get it? How many times have you stood next to somebody that their K2 meter or whatever meter they're using is just just blowing up and yours isn't doing anything. Sometimes it's just, you know, you have to be able to go and accept the fact that some that some spirits may go and target certain people for that communication. Or you may be psychologically or physically made up to, you know, to be similar because like the, one of the uh, natural laws in spiritualism is, is uh, like attracts like. So perhaps that, that, but that's it. But I believe that if you go in and you're just, you know, going gangbusters, you're not, they're just going to shut you right off and you're going to go home and say, well, that was a waste of money. <laughs> well, that's just it too. Like when you go to Buffalo Central, which I don't know that they're having investigations at the moment, but like when you go there, you, you don't know who it is you're interacting with, you know, exactly. you could be interacting with someone who, you know, 
was a former owner and lived there, or you could be interacting with someone who tragically passed away, you know, in, in the Buffalo winter colds, you know, beneath the building, or you could be talking to someone who served in World War II, or who knows who else. And so exactly. it's just you kind of have to go in like, I always tell people to investigate, like you're walking into a party, and you don't know anyone there. And you're trying to make friends, you know, <laughs> and don't Perfect. assume who you're talking to. And I think Buffalo Central Terminal is the perfect example of that because there are so many different facets to it. And the amount of people that have passed through there is mind-blowing. And it was such an integral part of the community. That whole east side, the old east side, that was the hub of that community. The, you know, the industry built up around there, workers bought homes in that area. So it has a lot of loving memories. I know even my late father-in-law uh, used to, he would come and tell me whenever, when we used to have the cons there, we used to have the pair of cons there. Uh, he would come and see me and he would come and tell me about when he was a boy and he would come into the terminal or when he was going and, uh, uh, you know, they would go and visit somebody or pick somebody up. It was amazing the stories he had. He's the one that told me about the, the military having the USO in the mezzanine and, and they used to have a big buffalo. They have a reproduction buffalo there now, but the original buffalo all the soldiers, as they were leaving, they would go and they would rub the foot of the buffalo for good luck until it was like there was no hair left on that buffalo. <laughs> That's what I so, heard. So, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's, it's such an integral part. And the emotions that are left over there and imprinted in that building are astronomical. And if, and as, you know, if you're a psychic or a medium and you walk into that place open, you can be overwhelmed. And that's where a lot of people kind of, you know, especially if you're Claire Ascension, well, you're Claire Ascension, you know, you know what I'm saying? You walk into that place and it's just like, oh my God, you know, it's like, like, you know, you get, like you open a freezer, a deep freezer and you get hit with that cold and it just kind of pushes your back a little bit. That's what that type of feeling is in that place. So yeah, there's so much residual, but the, but the intelligence that's, that is there, the love that they, that, that they, that people have bestowed in that, in that building is amazing. And, you know, the sorrow uh, sometimes in within that building is amazing. So heightened emotions really have imprinted there, and people, you know, they they've seen it over the years here. You know, as as a as just this spooky hulking hulking you know building, and this year, last year actually was the first year they're really putting the uh, putting a push into using the building and uh, uh, using you know having it as an event area. So hopefully they're going to open it up we hope, for a limited, at least limited paranormal investigations. That would be great because the place is simply beautiful, uh, mind-blowing, and amazing. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I feel like, too, sometimes when they, they cut off the investigations, I always wonder if the spirits get a little upset because they get so used to being communicated with regularly, and then suddenly that goes away. So I think it'd be nice to get back in there for sure. But tell me now, that how do people find you? What are you up to? What projects are you working on? Let's give a little shout out. <laughs> oh, my God. You can find out more about me at uh, com. That's my website. You can find me on Facebook. And uh, right now, I'm doing a, what I consider locally uh, the Cabin Fever Lecture Series, which I'm doing uh, one class or talk per month 
uh, at Dragonfly Art and Soul in Williamsville, New York. And my very first one, I believe, is on January 18th. And I will be talking about uh, Victorian morning rituals and uh, memory mori. And I'm going to bring some of my collection because I collect all sorts of, as you know, as you, I'm sure as you've heard, I collect all sorts of crazy stuff. I think Zaphis and I are like, you know, we are Siamese twins, except that we were separated at birth, luckily. Although although we are stuck in the same airports a lot. But I know, I've been in this the room with you too yeah. before. So I get it. Yeah, it's it's kinda it's kinda it's kinda strange. But we're gonna be I'm gonna be doing that and then I'll be in Toledo uh in uh April, Mansfield in May. I'll be doing something in Virginia and June. And of course, I'll be up at the Michigan Paracon in August, you know, so this yeah, is, it, it's always there. gonna be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was lovely having you. I really appreciate you taking the time. And um, hopefully we will meet up again before August. But otherwise, I will see you then. We will see you. And thank you for uh, inviting me on the show. Railroad stations are almost by definition liminal spaces, regions you pass through on your way somewhere else. So it's ironic for ghosts to linger in rail terminals, staying put for decades or more rather than move on. But if there is a train depot that seems appropriate for a haunting, it's the Buffalo Central Terminal, which spent more of its existence sitting in empty stillness and decline than it ever did as a bustling transportation hub. While it barely ever served as the railway core it was meant to be, it has, instead, become something that the world might need just as much, a home to restless spirits. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni, with additional research by Cassandra De Alba. This show is edited and produced by Rima Elkeali, with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Learn more about this show over at grimandmild.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, Visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.